They're back with the disciples, and back with their friends, and they're relaying to them what's happened to them. So we're going to pick this up uh, from Acts chapter 4, from verse 23, and uh, if you're using a church Bible, that's on page 1096. So it's Acts 4, from verse 23, and this is what it says. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So Peter and John return to the disciples, they recall what has happened, and then what happens is this phenomenal prayer meeting in their home, where they begin to quote from the Old Testament, from Psalm 2, which we'll look at in a moment, and they begin to pray and declare the power of God over their situation. And they say, it was even the case that King Herod and Pontius Pilate tried to conspire together um, to defeat the will of God, to crucify Jesus. But actually, um, you just used their plans for ill and turned them to fulfill your purposes. And then they cry out to God to stretch out his hand and to perform miracles, signs and wonders. And it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to boldly speak the word of God. Now, if you were here last week, you would have heard Kent speak on the theme of facing opposition and Peter and John before the Sanhedrin and the opposition that they faced for talking about Jesus. I wonder how you would feel in Peter and John's shoes. You've just returned from this interrogation, really, at the hands of the religious authorities. Um, You've been unjustly tried. You've been told to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Eventually, probably after many hours, you've been released and allowed to go back home. What would your personal response be if something like that happened to you? It's not fair, probably, because it wasn't. It's really unjust. Yeah, it was. But let's look at Peter and John's response and the response of the wider disciples. They hear this report of what's happened and it says, when they heard this, this is verse 24, 
When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote this little bit, which you can see in your Bibles, which is from the Old Testament, from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one and then it goes on and Luke tells us who's the writer of this of this book that by the end of this prayer meeting the building that they're in the room that they're in has been shaken they are filled with the power of God and they begin to boldly declare the word of God what is the disciples response to hardship persecution suffering and injustice prayer prayer is their response prayer and worship i wonder if that's your default response to times of suffering and hardship and injustice to pray and to declare the goodness and the power of god and psalm 2 which is those few verses there from verse the second half of verse 25 and through to 26 that they quote i'm going to read it to you in a in a fuller form Um, This is what Psalm 2 says. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And the psalm continues in that vein. He uses quite a lot of Old Testament and biblical language, but the crux of that psalm is that it, it is a psalm of defiance. It is a psalm of effectively the people of God saying, you folk rise up against us and you come at us with your schemes and your strategies and your attempts to undermine the will of God and to persecute the church. But actually, God is sovereign and God is powerful and God is almighty and no scheme or strategy of the enemy and no scheme or strategy of humankind can defeat him. God is enthroned and he is mighty. And it's a bit of a like, boo sucks to you kind of a psalm, really. Um, it's, a, you know, it's this sort of psalm of absolute defiance. And I use the word sovereignty there, and I'm going to come back to that word um, a few times this morning. The word sovereign means to possess absolute power and authority. If we talk about a person or a group of people um, being sovereign, what we mean by that is the ultimate power and ultimate authority rests with that person or that group of people. So here we are in this great prayer meeting that the disciples have gathered and their response to the unfairness and the injustice that they're facing is to raise up this war cry. It's not a cry of retribution, it's not a cry of anger, it's not a getting their own back cry, but it's a spiritual war cry of defiance where they declare the sovereign power and authority of God against the circumstances that they're facing. 
And you know, there are times, aren't there, in life, and you will have experienced this, I'm sure, where it looks for all intents and purposes like evil and pain and suffering and injustice have won. It looks as if the kingdom of God is in retreat, that the church is on the back foot, and that actually pain has been victorious. And I think for the disciples, that's how the cross must have looked. We, just a little while ago around Easter, celebrated Good Friday and those momentous events where Jesus Christ is crucified on a sinner's cross. A brutal, terrible day. And you know, it must have looked like on that day that all the schemes and strategies of evil and of mankind had prospered and that God had been defeated. To the observer, it must have looked that way. And it was pretty bleak because this was Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the son of God, the Messiah, God incarnate, God in human flesh, God himself being put to death at the hands of men. It must have looked like defeat. But to come to that conclusion is to underestimate the power and the sovereignty of God. In the Old Testament, there's a story uh, which you'll probably know of, of Joseph, of multicolored coat fame. And uh, Joseph is harshly and unjustly treated. His brothers abandon him to slavery, to violence, and to imprisonment. And at the end of the story, Joseph comes face to face with his brothers, and he looks them in the eye and he says, What you intended for harm, God intended for good. And God was able to bring goodness and Um, his purposes to bear through the schemes of his brothers. And that statement of Joseph is an amazingly prophetic statement that echoes all the way through the pages of the Bible until we get to the cross, which is the ultimate fulfillment of God saying, what humankind intended for ill, I have used for good. Now, we need to be careful here that what we don't imply is a a theology that says God engineers bad things, God wills suffering, God wills hardship, because that is absolutely not the case. And that's another talk that we could do another time. It's not that God wills or that he purposes hardship, pain, suffering, and injustice. And the doctrine of the sovereignty of God does not in any way diminish the reality of pain and injustice, suffering, and persecution. But what the sovereignty of God says is that those things, evil and injustice and suffering and hardship and pain, never get the final word. They never get the final word. Because over and above all of those things, God is in charge, he is enthroned on high, and nothing will thwart him from working his purposes out. Many of you may have heard this story before. I think I've shared it at St. Andrews a number of months ago. But um, there's a story um, which is set around the end of the Second World War. And it goes that when Allied soldiers were liberating occupied Europe, they found their way to um, Cologne concentration camp where thousands of Jews had met 
an horrific end at the hands of the Nazis. And scratched onto a wall in this concentration camp in Hebrew were the words, I believe in the sun even when it isn't shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. And I believe in God even when he is silent. And it's easy, isn't it, to sing songs of worship and celebration when times are good. It comes readily to us. How easy is it to sing the praises of God and to declare his goodness when times are hard? When it, think, it feels like the dice is loaded against us and it feels like we're not on that upwards trajectory of everything getting better and better and better that perhaps we naively thought would be the reality of our Christian lives. In those instances, can we still proclaim the victory of God, the goodness of God and the love of God? What the disciples do in this passage, having declared the sovereignty of God over the schemes of man, they call upon the Lord. Verse 29, they say this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I wonder if that prayer of theirs surprises you because it kind of surprises me. If I was you know, under the cosh, as it were, and felt like I was on the receiving end of persecution, I don't know that I would pray like that. But in the space of a few verses, the disciples have moved from relaying their story of hardship and persecution to suddenly being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and proclaiming the word of God with boldness and calling on his power. And I want you to notice something really significant in these few verses. Absolutely nothing has changed in terms of their circumstances. Nothing. They are under no less threat than they were before. They are still under persecution. They are still facing opposition. Nothing in their circumstances has changed but their response to their circumstances is now being shaped by the power of God and their view and understanding of who God is. Stephanie mentioned at the beginning of our service that on Friday morning, morning um, Mary Mead passed away. Um, she's been part of this congregation for many, many years. And over the last week, I've spent a lot of time with her and their family. Um, I was with her uh, a couple of hours before she passed away on Friday and was able to pray with her and last week to read the Bible with her. And um, I have to say, there's, there's a real privilege actually being with a Christian when they come towards the end of life. Because for Mary, there was this deep-seated confidence in where she was going. And I read some passages to her from John chapter 14 where Jesus says to his disciples, I am going to prepare, to prepare a place for you in my father's house and to come back and to bring you to be with me. And as I read those verses, Mary at that point wasn't really able to, to speak. 
Um, but she, she nodded along and um, was smiling and knew that in a short moment she was going to be in the presence of her Lord and Saviour. And that that wasn't a, a, a platitude, that wasn't something which uh, we were just saying over her to make her feel better and to make death a little bit more palatable. It was true, and she knew it to be true. And there is something wonderfully profound at that moment to watch somebody slip away when they have that level of hope and confidence and certainty in where they are going. But the question is for us, how do we pray against a backdrop of that? How do we pray when circumstances don't make sense? Many of us were praying for Mary's healing and didn't see the answers from the Lord that we wanted to see. How do we pray in circumstances like that? Because this is really where the rubber hits the road. This is where real life and faith interact. And we've got to move beyond theory and beyond niceties and platitudes, because this is where it really matters that we have a faith that is sure and steadfast and deep and real and can withstand the test of circumstances and is not based on circumstances, but often is there in spite of circumstances. Now, it is never as Christians that we should go looking for suffering and pain and opposition. We should never go searching it out. But it will come, and it does come, and when it comes, the question for us is, how do we pray and how do we respond? Will we choose in those moments to still trust in the power, the goodness, and the sovereignty of God? Because my guess is, had I been in that situation that the disciples were, having been faced with that barrage of opposition and injustice, the easy prayer to pray would have been, Lord, make it stop. Keep me safe and give me an easier time of it, because it ain't fair. And remarkably, the disciples don't go there. They don't pray that prayer. Their prayer is not for themselves and for their safety and for their comfort. In the, in the time of hardship and persecution, they actually see this as an opportunity for God to demonstrate his mighty power. And that is the cry of their hearts. The faith that the disciples express here is a faith in spite of circumstance, not because of circumstance. The prayer that they pray is a prayer of defiance against the powers and the principalities and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak of Jesus boldly. Even in the fires of persecution, as then happened to the church as the story goes on, and we'll pick this up in future weeks, in the fires of persecution, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread. 200 years later, the Roman author Tertullian would write this. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. In other words, God used that season of persecution and hardship that his people went under to lift up his name and to see the good news of Jesus spread across the whole of the known world. In this point in history, the church exploded. We have never seen growth like it. We have never seen salvation and transformation like it. The blood of the martyrs was the seed 
of the church. I wonder how we deal with pain and opposition and injustice. I wonder how as a church we'll deal with walking through this journey of grief right now. Do we pray to the Lord, just make it go away? We could pray that. And God is loving and merciful and often he does make it go away for our sake. But I wonder if we'll have the faith of those disciples and see times of pain as an opportunity for our faith to be deepened and for God's name to be lifted up. I wonder if in these times of suffering we will still choose to hold fast to the power the authority, the sovereignty of God. That we wouldn't settle for a superficial faith, but that we would push on for a deep faith that is not a faith of circumstance, but a faith in spite of circumstance. Um, Martin and Michael, I wonder if I could invite you guys up. Um, I've asked um, these guys to sing a song um, over us Uh, The words are going to come up on the screen. Um, You don't need to join in, um, though you're welcome to if you want. We're going to remain seated. And um, this is a really uh, moving song that speaks of the sovereignty of God in times of difficulty. So I'm going to pray in a moment, and then I want you to receive the ministry of God through this song and let the words speak to you. So let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit of God, we pray. And would you affirm and strengthen our faith that we would follow Jesus Christ, place our life in his hands, follow him to the ends of the earth, not because you give us an assurance of an easy time of it, but because you are good and true and loving and righteous. And we choose this morning to declare and to proclaim your power and your authority and your goodness over all the schemes of humankind, over all the plans and strategies of the enemy, against all situations and circumstances that we would face. We choose to say, you are God and you are Lord and you are in charge and you are mighty and the victory is yours and you are sovereign in power. Amen.